God has given us his word, and we are called to feast on it. God has given us his word, and we are called to feast on it. Today, we're moving out of a, ser- a set of sermons where we've been in the book of Leviticus, and we're moving into the book of Numbers. But to make sense of the book of Numbers, we have, to, we have to understand something that happened way back in the book of Genesis first. Early on in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, God makes three promises to Abraham. Now, it's important that we understand what's going on with those promises to understand what's happening through the rest of the Old Testament. The first promise God makes to Abraham is about a land. He promises that there will be a place, a land, that Abraham's descendants will be able to live in. There's a land promise. And then he promises Abraham many descendants, many descendants. A great nation will come from Abraham, so there's a descendants promise. And then there's a blessing, promise of a blessing that will bless all people that will come through Abraham. We can call that the Jesus promise as he's the fulfillment of that promise that God makes all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Now the descendants promise is fulfilled. The beginning of the book of Exodus, we see that God's people, though they are enslaved in Egypt, they are multiplying. They have become very, very large. God has fulfilled and continues to fulfill his promise of many descendants to Abraham. But then the book of Numbers is the story of God moving to fulfill the promise of land to Abraham. And it's also the story of God's people resisting God's fulfillment. Numbers is a travel log of Israel's journey through the wilderness. They're traveling because God is taking them to the place that's going to be theirs in fulfillment of his promise. It's what should be a two-week journey becomes nearly 40 years. Now the first 14 chapters of this book happen over the course of about two months. The rest of the book then happens over the course of about 38 years. And if you're familiar with the book of Numbers, then you know that it's a book that records everything going wrong. Everything goes wrong in the book of Numbers. But it doesn't start that way. And what we're going to look at today is Numbers chapter 9, this this little passage that shows us a picture of what God's idea and desire for his relationship with his people was like. So we're going to read Numbers chapter 9 verses 15 to 23 and I'd like us to read that together. So go ahead and stand up for the reading of scripture. And I'll read Numbers 9:15 through 23. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. And that is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. 
Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out, but when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in in accordance with his command through Moses. You may be seated. Now, you might have noticed in this passage, there's a lot of repetition. It sounds just a little bit odd to our ears. And the reason for that is because it's a poem. Usually, when you're reading through the Bible, when something is written as a poem, it gets kind of a special indentation, and it looks a little bit different than the passages around it. There are exceptions to that, though, and this is one of them. The passage we just read is a poem. Now, whenever you're reading through a book of the Bible and you come across a poem that you either recognize because of that special indentation or because you hear things like this kind of repetition, you should stop for a moment and pay special attention. Because this means that Moses, as he was writing the book of Numbers, he took the time to write this portion in poetry. Because something very special, something very important was being expressed here. So it's kind of a a call out to us as we're reading to give special attention to this passage. So what's going on? What I want to do is I want to dig in to the first verse we read that kind of explains the importance of what's going on and kind of explains the reason for the rest of the passage. So verse 15 reads this way. On the day of the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up. The cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. Three things going on in this verse. The first one is the tabernacle. Now, we've talked about this for a few weeks now, and we talked about it before in the book of Exodus. The the tabernacle is something in the Old Testament that is so vitally important, we can't miss what's going on. You see, in the tabernacle, God's people were given this portable tent that they could take with them. And inside of this tent would go all these pieces of furniture that were part of the worship of of Israel before God. And then in the center of the tabernacle would be the Ark of the Covenant, this place where God's glory would dwell. And the promise of the tabernacle is amazing because the heaven is wherever God is. Wherever God is, that's what we call heaven. And the earth, it's fallen. It's part of his creation, but it's infected and polluted with sin and death. The tabernacle, though, is this pocket of heaven 
on earth where life overcomes death and sin and expels it away and God's people could be close, near to him. And so as they moved from place to place, as they followed his commands and they traveled through the wilderness, always they knew that their God went with them. Other gods in the ancient world, they were tied to a specific place, but not this God. He's special that way. He doesn't demand his people stay in one place, because if they move away, they'll move away from him. He goes with them. He leads them as they go. And so you can imagine being an Israelite and having the same kind of questions and doubts that we might have today. Why, why would God care about us? Maybe we're not his chosen people. Maybe he's not really with us. Maybe he's left or abandoned us because we're not as holy as we're supposed to be. But then they could just look and they could see that the tabernacle was there, traveling with them, and they could know, really know, that God had chosen them and that God went with them. And then the next part of the verse says that this is the tent of the covenant law. And that's a phrase we don't see very often, the tent of the covenant law. It's referring to the Ten Commandments. You remember in the Ten Commandments, Moses is given two tablets. Now, those tablets eventually get broken and, and new ones are made, but, but there's two tablets, and each of them have the Ten Commandments on them. A lot of the times we think that maybe one through five is on one and six through ten is on the other, but that's not the way it works. You see, in the ancient world, if you were going to make a covenant with somebody or sign a treaty, then what would happen is both parties would get a copy of that treaty, would get a copy of that covenant, and they would take them to their home. Both parties had a copy and then returned to where they were going to dwell. But God tells Moses to take both copies of the Ten Commandments, both copies of the covenant, and put them together in the ark. In other words, he gives his word, I will be with you. In your midst is where I'm going to stay. It's where I'm going to dwell. It's called the tent of the covenant law as a reminder that God has given his people his word. He will not abandon them. And then, one of the details that we could miss if we're not really paying attention, and when we read through the Bible, we have to let these things jump off the page at us. There's a cloud above the tabernacle. During the day, there's a cloud. And then at night, it looks like fire. Imagine, if you would, being one of the Israelites surrounding the tabernacle and camping as they were supposed to. And imagine at night wondering, where are we going? Why are we wandering through the wilderness? Why are we taking 38 years to make a two-week trek? And they knew that, that that time was for a purpose. But, but wondering ever, is God still with us? There's no way to mistake his awesome, powerful presence because that pillar of flame, that cloud above the tabernacle, showed 
that God himself was inside. And imagine what that said to an Israelite. That said, even though you're not so holy, I've come to you. I haven't come to you because you're the holiest nation. I haven't come to you because you're the wealthiest or the most powerful. I haven't come to you because you're special in any way other than I've chosen you. Yes, you're kind of a ragtag group wandering through the wilderness, but I've chosen you. And imagine also what it said to the enemies of Israel. Could you imagine another, another nation thinking about raiding the camp? And they kind, of, they kind of scout what's going on from a distance, and they see this tent in the center of Israel, and during the day it has a cloud above it, and isn't that strange? But then, as the sun goes down, and another nation might think to, to attack or to raid, this pillar of fire lights above the tabernacle and stays. In other words, that flame is a statement also to anyone else that this people belongs to Yahweh. They are His. It doesn't matter that they're not fierce and strong. It doesn't matter that they don't have as many warriors or as great of war machines as anyone else. They have the Lord, and this is the sign to tell everybody that that's true. You know, this was so amazing as I was studying for this message this week, realizing that this, this flame above the tabernacle shows that this is where God truly dwells. This flame resting above the tent shows that this is where God's presence is. And then so far in the future, there will be a day when the Holy Spirit comes for the first time in Acts chapter 2. And as he descends upon his people for the first time, what appears above all of them? A flame. <laughs> I should have had one of those for a visual aid. Because God truly dwell, dwells in each of us. We are all tabernacles. We'll come back to that in a minute. But this is the incredible reality that's described in Numbers chapter 9. This is not just a people wandering through the wilderness. This is a people being led by their God who's with them. Even when they mess up, and believe me, as we go through the book of Numbers, they're going to mess up. They're going to mess up badly. They're going to mess up in ways you can't believe anybody would mess up. Having seen and experienced the miracles they have, they're still going to be going to God saying, why aren't you taking care of us? They're going to be doing the exact same things that we do all the time. But there's this promise. God has given them his word, and that is a sign to them that he's always with them. And it was a way of telling what he wanted from them as well, because when it was time for them to move, the cloud or the pillar of fire would move to another place, and then it would settle. And wherever it settled is where they were supposed to set up the tabernacle underneath and set up the camp as well. God had given his word he'd be with them, and he gave them a way to determine his will by following him. So that's all taking place. That's what the, the relationship that Israel has with its God was supposed to look like. It's an incredible thing. 
The Israelites knew that they were chosen, not because of anything they'd done. They weren't holy, and so God came to them. He'd come to them and then called them to be holy. He'd chosen them, and he was always with them. So what does that have to do with us today? Well, the first one is easy. You've already put it together. God is always with us. You see, a lot of the times we can, we can receive this lie that comes straight from the evil one that we aren't good enough or, or we've stumbled or struggled so much that even though we want to belong to the Lord, there's no way he could possibly still love me because I'm so sinful. I'm so imperfect. I'm so broken. But what this passage tells us is that we do not worship a God who runs away or rejects an imperfect son or daughter. We worship a God who stays, who dwells alongside, who will never leave us or forsake us, who will never abandon us, and who says to us, yes, you're imperfect. Yes, you're sinful. Yes, you, you may not be the strongest or the smartest or the richest or the holiest or the most powerful, but you are mine and I love you and I will help you to become holy and like me. The first promise that we have in the tabernacle is that God is always with us. You are never alone. God loves you so much he wants to be with you all the time. I don't love myself enough to want to be with me all the time. Right? There's, there's, there's nobody that wants to be with someone literally always, but God loves you that much. In your worst moments, in your best, with the best of you and the worst of you, your God loves you and he's with you. You are never alone. The next promise we have here in the tabernacle is that we're chosen. And that's an incredible thing. God calls us to him and we respond by accepting. It was true of God's people then and it's true of us now that we have the option to, to enter into covenant with God. He calls us and we accept Him as Lord and Savior. And because He's chosen us, He who already knows every part of us through and through chooses us. There'll never come a moment where He's scared off or driven away by our imperfections because He knew them at the beginning. He's chosen you. You're chosen by God. You, in the pew today, God knows you through and through. He knows the best of you. He knows the worst of you. And he chose you. And he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. And then we have another promise from the tabernacle. We talked about how God gave his word. And that means a couple of things. It means that the, the two tablets put together, the word of God that dwell in the ark. But he gave his word 
in that he made a promise as well. And in a different way, that's still true for us today. While I don't think anyone here is carrying around the original tablets of the Ten Commandments, if you are, I think they'll fetch quite a price on Amazon. We do have his word. He gives us his word. Now, we live in a time where we are saturated by the Word of God. It's available to all of us in many ways at all times. You can pull out your phone right now and have hundreds or thousands of different translations of the Bible on a website or on an app. Many of your homes probably have several Bibles. I did a look-through of my home this week and my office today, and I have So many Bibles that I'm not worried about where all of them are put. I don't keep track of them all very well because I'm not worried about not having one. And I think one of the problems that comes from that when we're saturated the way we are with the availability of the Word of God is we lose a sense of how vitally important it is. God has given us His Word. Have you ever stopped? to think about what that means. That means that the God of the universe who knew you before the beginning of time, who knew all of us, he gave us a book. Because he knows that this book contains truth that we need to hear. It contains truth that we need to hear at the beginning of our faith walk. It tells us stories about Jesus and it shares the promises that God has given to all of his people that we can be forgiven, redeemed, and his. That we can dwell with him forever. That's in his book. But there's also so much more. The cloud that dwelled above the tabernacle, it showed God's people his will. They followed him when he moved. His word that he's given us today shows us his will as well. What are we supposed to do when our loved one wrongs us? His book tells us what his will is. We're to forgive. What are we supposed to do when the people around us are in need of our time or our resources? His word tells us we're to give out of a loving heart. What are we supposed to do with our lives? His word tells us, just like they were supposed to in the desert, we are to follow him. There's no way to overstate how precious and important the word of God is for us today. Now we're in this series, and we just went through the book of Leviticus, and and the idea of the series is that it's Jesus coming to dinner. We're calling it eating with the word. And so the idea with Leviticus that talks about all these details, all these specific things that God's people were supposed to do, it's kind of like setting the table, right? Jesus comes over and so you're, you're setting the table and you want to do that in the best way. You bring out the good dishes, right? You, you make sure that everything is set just right, not because he's going to reject you if you don't, but because he's important and you want to set the table for him. But the meal, we don't provide that. He does. God has given us his word, and we are called to feast on it. 
Several times throughout Scripture, God's people are told to eat the Word of God. And that's fascinating to me. We're called to eat it. I really don't think that's literal because that doesn't usually go well. There's a lot of it, and it's paper, and and that's not good for digestion. But the idea of chewing on it, of being with it, of letting it get inside you and changing you, I think that's what's meant when we're called to eat, to feast on the Word of God. What I'd like to encourage you about today is I'd like to encourage you, if you're in a place where you don't have a regular practice of reading his word, if it's because you try and you struggle to find time, if it's because you want to, but for one reason or another, you've just never been able to to make a habit of it, I want to encourage you to try again. But if you're here today and you don't have a regular habit of diving into the Word of God because you're not sure that it's important. You're not sure that you need to. I want to tell you, you have no idea what you're missing. Now, it's a little weird sometimes when you read through, for example, Leviticus, this book that would just preach through, you get to places and you say, what in the world is this about? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can pick any Bible, read for a little while, or any book of the Bible and read for a little while, and you'll come upon a passage and you'll say, what? It's confusing and it's difficult. But when we take the leap of faith and we sit with it, we chew on it, what begins to happen is we're changed by it. The Lord does incredible things when we make a decision to have his word in us regularly. It comes to you at strange times. You'll be going through a situation in your life and all of a sudden a verse will come to you. Maybe you haven't read it for a long, long time, but merely the habit of being in his word keeps it close to mind. You begin to see his will and desire for specific situations in your life. You get to know, really get to know the way you would over a meal. The God who loves you, who's chosen you, who's called you. We talk all the time about how we're called to become like him. In order to become like him, you have to know what he's like. And the only way to do that is through His Word. Now, one of the things that we do is we provide a daily reading plan. And it has five devotions a week. And I think that that's a really good number to aim for. But if that's too high, aim lower. Aim for three days a week. And don't feel guilty when you you miss the other days. It's okay. Build them into the plan, but make a plan. Make a habit. Make a practice. And see what happens inside of you as you encounter the Lord over and over again in his word. If it's not too much, take one of the Bible reading plans today and use it. And a week from now, when you've completely forgotten about it and you find it again and you have that guilty moment of, oh no, I've already wrecked the plan, just hop in then. 
You don't have to feel guilty. He doesn't want you to beat yourself up. He loves you. He's chosen you. He knew you were going to forget well before you ever existed. He's not mad. Just hop in there and read. And know that when you're reading, the God of the universe who dwelled above his people with a pillar of flame, the God of the universe who parted the Red Sea, the God of the universe who holds everything together moment by moment, the God of the universe who knew you and loved you long before you were ever a thought in anyone else's mind, that he's there, that he loves you, and that he's excited to spend time with you. And that's not something you have to earn. That's not something you have to be good enough for. That's not something that you can lose by messing up. Because even though we stumble, even though we break faith, God will always, always be faithful. And he will always be waiting for you as you sit and encounter him in his word. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings. You are amazing, Lord. We love you. And we thank you for the gift, the bountiful gift that your word is. We thank you for the Bible. This opportunity we have to see, to read the words and actions of your son as he shows us what it's like to live with you as our king. We thank you for the incredible blessing, the incredible joy that we have, the promises that are present in your word that assure us that you're never apart from us, that you're always going to be with us. That, Lord, even though we are fallen and broken and imperfect, you, you are not. You are holy and awesome and mighty and good. And everything that's needed for salvation, you have accomplished. And call on us to receive. And, Lord, we pray that you would light a passion inside of us for your word that you'd bring your word to mind, that you'd empower us to find time when we need to find time, that you'd help us to realize that the excuses we make are excuses, and we should stop making them. Lord, and call us, empower us, bring us into communion with you over and over again in your word. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.